0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. This morning's message is one that was spawned in my own heart and mind by the look we took at Esther last week, looking at the whole subject of the providence of God, how God is forward-looking. He is Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who sees. He knows what we need before we ask. He knows what we need even when we ask that which is not in keeping with His will. And we know our God is intent upon one thing above all other things, and that is that he would be glorified. In 2011, Justin Bieber entered Rarefied Company. It was that year at the age of 17 he was selected by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. As a result, it went to his head. He had several years of wild living, many brushes with the law. Had he not been such a noted figure in popular culture, undoubtedly he would have landed in jail for some of his shenanigans. But there was a change which occurred after a few years in this young man's life. It is reflected in the lyrics of a song which was the title song for his fourth studio album. Let me read Part of the lyrics of this song. I put all into your hands. Here's my soul to keep. I let you in with all that I can. You're not hard to reach. And you bless me with the best gift that I've ever known. You give me purpose. Yes, you've given me purpose. Thinking my journeys come to an end, sending out a farewell to my friends, for inner peace, ask you to forgive me for my sins. Oh, would you please? I'm more than grateful for the time we spent, my spirit's at ease. I put my heart into your hands, Learn the lessons you teach. No matter when, wherever I am, you're not too hard to reach. And you've given me the best gift that I've ever known. You give me purpose every day. You give me purpose in every way. Oh, you are my everything. Oh, you are my everything. We don't know the heart of Justin Bieber today. If this was, and I think it probably was, in his ability to understand what he wanted in a relationship with the Lord, what he found, he was baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, And we pray that he will continue to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he found his purpose in the Lord. And we know the purpose of the providence of God for us is that we fulfill his calling in our lives as followers of Jesus. And we are people who bring honor and glory to him, diverting attention away from ourselves and directing attention to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This passage of Scripture which we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 will be supported by other Scriptures in the same book. We're going to take a foray into chapter 1 of uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to look briefly at a person, piece of chapter 7 and then chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 16 through 18 now, having read verses 7 through 15 in preparation for this moment. And I'll be referring back to that section of Scripture too in the book of 2 Corinthians. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 reads as follows. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's no secret that our outer person is decaying. Some's degenerating physically is more obvious to others. When one is young, the aging process is not quite so rapid. But when you get older, it becomes more and more noticeable, especially to the individual who inhabits that decaying body, right? I remember giving it, being given the assignment as a young man, probably in my early 30s, to go to my wife's home church and speak to the senior citizens. I was thinking I wanted to really be respectful for them. But also, I wanted to lighten up the atmosphere a bit. And as I was searching for some things I might say to get some levity to the situation, I came across this saying about aging. It went like this, you know you're getting older, When you drop something on the floor and when you bend down to pick it up, you look around to see if there's anything there that needs to be picked up while you're down. Well, I've come to know that firsthand. That was just funny to me when I was in my 30s. It's very serious to me now at this point in my life. It is true, isn't it? The outer person, the physical person who we are, is decaying wasting away. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Who is the one who renews us? Well, if we were to go to 2 Corinthians 5, we would say, see that every person who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in that instant, you became the recipient of eternal life. Many people misunderstand when eternal life begins. They believe it begins the moment you exit this life for the next. Well, that's very important. But according to the words of Jesus in John chapter five, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, listen, has eternal life. Eternal life became my possession in time in 1958, when I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. and But God's grace, that has been who I am, a person redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ in whom he dwells. And after all, if he indwells me, he is who he is. And among the things that he says about himself is, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His life is in me. I have as do you if you know Christ, the capacity to be renewed every day. It's not like we're being saved for the first time every time, but we live in a state of possible development spiritually from the moment we receive Christ into the end of our lives. Isn't it good to know that if you know Jesus, there's never a day in your life nor in mine, when we can go forward spiritually. It makes perfectly good sense to me where Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That idea of following, it's a command, not a suggestion, is the idea of perpetual following him. There never is a day or a moment in a day in your life or my life that it's inappropriate for us to follow Jesus. This is what we do in order to experience daily renewal. Look at verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now if you know about Paul and you know about what he writes just in the book of 2 Corinthians, you are fully aware that he had a lot of affliction. This word which is translated throughout the book of 2 Corinthians and elsewhere in the New Testament is a word which is closely akin to a word which means to break. The idea of affliction is the idea of being shattered, actually. We know in the Bible, the Old Testament, it says many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. The same idea was in the Old Testament that is in the New Testament, which should should come as no surprise to us. And we are to be people who realize that we have this affliction. Didn't seem light when I read the book of 2 Corinthians the first time. When I read this long list, we won't go to it in chapter 11, of all the difficulties, all the afflictions that Paul experienced, when he was doing the work that God had given him to do. It was not for something that he did that was wrong. It was because he was in, in sync with the will of God. He was obedient to the Lord. Light affliction. How can the things that Paul experienced be considered light? Look at verses 8 and 9 of this chapter. We are afflicted in every way. Every imaginable way a person could be afflicted, he and his traveling companions were afflicted, but not crushed. This is the thing about we who know Christ. We feel pain just the way people who don't know Christ feel it. And probably, truth be told, it'll be sorted out when all things end and there's a new heaven and a new earth, that we who know Christ probably have more intensive pain and probably find a lot going on in our lives that unbelievers don't have going on in their lives. But it's all purposeful. We are perplexed, but not despairing, Paul says. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, there's the idea of being crushed. Struck down, but not destroyed. In the book of Proverbs 24, verse 16, the Word of God tells us, the righteous person falls seven times and rises again. This is a thing about us when we know Jesus. Even though our outer person is decaying, wasting away, even though we're bombarded by difficulty in our lives of every kind, in every way, we know that we have the presence of the Lord himself in us. And he energizes us, gives us the power to rise up when we're knocked down. Do you feel like you're knocked down today? There's probably several people in the room who have an affliction. You're broken in a relationship. You're broken financially. You're broken professionally. You fill in the way or the area where you sense brokenness in your life. It's momentary compared to eternity. Why are we to look at the affliction that we have in following Christ as light And momentary. How do we do it? We can begin by looking at others. We've already heard about what's going on in Afghanistan. We could go to nation after nation after nation where people are punished for their faith by the governing authorities, by their neighbors. They're marginalized. They don't have the rights that other people in that nation have simply because of their identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Compared to what we deserve, this is light and momentary affliction. The psalmist says in Psalm 103 verse 10, The Lord has not dealt to us as we ought to have been treated. He has been easy on us as His children when it comes to our sins and what they require. It's light also compared with the problems that Jesus dealt with in his life. We know the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. That's surprising, isn't it? That Jesus, who was the perfect man and fully God, had to learn another degree of obedience. That's part of what he suffered in becoming one of us. He had to suffer in order that he could qualify to be the propitiation, the punishment, the appeasement for a holy God as it related to our sin. In the book of Hebrews also, in verses 2 through 4 of Hebrews 12, the Bible says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy said before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Going back to where we began in 2 Corinthians four sixteen, where the Bible says, we do not lose heart. Let's go back now and look at verse 4 of Hebrews 12. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Think about what Jesus had to undergo in order that we might have a light momentary affliction rather than an eternity separated from God in what the Bible calls hell. He went to hell for us in effect. Compared to the blessings we have, do we have blessings as Christians How vast are they? They're incredibly vast. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible talks about how we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, every blessing. And they're accessible to us daily. Momentarily, they're accessible to us. They empower us, our birthright as children of God. These things empower us to deal constructively when it comes to this matter of affliction in our lives. And lastly, as to what we are to compare, our afflictions that make them look light and momentary is when we see what they lead to. And having said that, we're going to look at what they lead to. God has a goal for your affliction and my affliction. The goal is seen in that He wants to strip us of self-reliance and then in turn stir us to God-reliance. This is the way that God wants us to relate to our issues. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our ability to endure. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sense of death. What a burden Paul and his companions had, but what that did was it stripped them of their self-reliance so that they would have one place and only one place to go. And it was the place God ordained for us to go to begin with. And that is to rely on God who raises the dead. Our God is one who specializes in people coming to know life as they never knew it before. By raising us from the dead spiritually. He raised Jesus from the dead physically, There's coming a day if we die before he comes again, we're going to be raised out of the grave. We've had several funerals in the church family recently. And what's interesting to me, when you go to the place of burial, invariably, when the casket is placed at the place of burial, the head of the deceased is in a position so that when the resurrection comes, that person's coming up out of the grave and that face is going to be facing the East. You know why? Because that's where Jesus is coming from. He's coming in the East. And so we are people who have the promise of resurrection life too. When Christ comes again, we will rise from the dead and meet him. We're allowed this kind of difficulty, affliction in our lives This breaking, if you will, because God wants to stir us to reliance upon Him. Now turn back to chapter 4 again. Let's look at verse 7, then we'll glance down to verse 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves in verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We have to die to wanting to control our own lives if we are going to be the people God created us to be the second time when he gave us eternal life. And what happens as a result is, he guards his own glory. When Paul came to Corinth, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He said, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I came to you in fear and great trembling. Paul realized he didn't have what it took. He had spent an entire life prior to his meeting Christ on the road to Damascus and coming to know Christ. He spent his whole life building a resume and building his reputation in the community of Israel. And then in one fell swoop, Christ came in and he just demolished all that, blinding him. And in so blinding, he opened his eyes to who Christ was and he gave his life to Christ. And he says in Philippians chapter three, all that stuff that I put credibility into, that I worked feverishly night and day so that I could be somebody that was admired within the religious community. All that worth nothing. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, he said, and the fellowship is his suffering. That's what I strive for now. And he had been striving for that and doing that for years Stripped of self-reliance, stirred to God reliance. To glorify the Lord, we have to do just that. Turn to second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse seven. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He had a bad physical condition probably. We know he did have a physical condition that affected his eyesight. This is why at the end of the book of Galatians, he says, in signing off, he says, look what large letters I use in writing my goodbye to you the reason he did that he was a man who suffered from problems of vision and it made him difficult to look at grotesque if you will so he not only had the disability of being blind as it were but he also had the disability of being ridiculed for his appearance both of those things would have hurt but he he not acknowledges in his own heart, that these were designed, and God reaffirms it here, telling how many times he's been appealing to the Lord to give him his vision back. Verse nine, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This great apostle, understood the hard way, just like we typically have to understand. We beg, have you been asking the Lord to fulfill a promise He's made to you for a long time? And there's still no evidence of his fulfilling his promise. We need to pause and remember that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he promised and will he not fulfill it? Don't let go of the promise. Wait on the Lord. God's ambition for affliction and his ambition is always fulfilled. To strip you and me of our self-reliance, to get rid of the pride in our lives, in order that we might be stirred to God-reliance to be given an assignment and know that that assignment would be impossible for you or me to fulfill apart from dependence upon the Lord. Let's now take time to look at the areas of affliction. Go to the 7th chapter of 2 Corinthians, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Not only in every way were they afflicted, on every side, conflicts without and fears within. I think this would correspond to what we read just a few moments ago from 2 Corinthians 4 about the persecutions that Paul underwent, but also about the perplexities. The fear would be perplexing. The things that caused the fear... Caused great puzzlement to Paul and they do to us as well. And the persecutions, of course, external were the persecutions and the opposition that he faced. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, Paul talks about, as he writes the Corinthians from Ephesus, he says this, he says, there has been a wide door for effective service open to me and there are many adversaries. When we know Christ and we seek to trust in Him as we ought by denying ourselves and following Him and trusting in Him to give us the necessary power to accomplish the will that He has for us, we come to a place where we have opposition coming at us. We know the Bible talks about how Our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I don't know exactly whether what I'm about to tell you is verifiable because a preacher told me this, so put that in his proper perspective. I think he was a reliable man, and I believe he believed what he said, but you do the research on it. When a lion gets old, a male lion grows old and has lost all its teeth, then he still roars in an effort to intimidate and frighten the other animals and perhaps even people who occupy his territory. The devil has been defanged by Christ when he rose from the dead. He still has some authority. He still is the ruler of this world. We know that and the prince of the power of the air. But he is no longer able to do what he wanted to do. He failed in his attempt to kill Christ. And in so doing, he fails in his efforts to do you and me in as we trust in Christ and not in ourselves, as we trust the Lord as we go forward in our lives internally the fears. The Apostle Paul is described in Acts 18 this way. It's Luke's rendition of Paul's ministry in Corinth. And he heard firsthand from Paul what happened. Paul went into the synagogue and he debated, as he would often do when he would go into an area where there was a synagogue, he debated with the different people there who wanted to talk about whether Jesus was in fact the fulfillment of the promise of God regarding the coming Messiah. And he was mocked and Christ was blasphemed as was God the Father. And so he left there and he went to a nearby man's house, Crispus, and he stayed in his house and experienced the hospitality of that home, but he was ready to throw in the towel. In fact, he was sleeping one night. He had a vision of Jesus. Jesus came to him and he said, stop being afraid. Do not be silent, for I have many people in this city. Well, he had had virtually no converts to this point, but the Lord already had earmarked people in that city to receive Christ. You know, there are people in El Paso that belong to Christ. They're waiting for a witness. Remember last week we talked about what Mordecai said to Esther. If deliverance does not come to the people of God through you, then it will become, it will come from God through somebody else. The Lord wants us to join him where he's working. And we share the gospel and we'll see people come to Christ, not just tell them, come to our church. There's never anything in Scripture that would say, coming to church makes a person a Christian, right? It's when we hear the gospel and we respond to the call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of answers are we to give to the problem of affliction? Well, here are the answers we're to give we're to look to that which is unseen. Go back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 18. Let's read 17 to get the flow of thought. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Eternal. Please keep your place here and go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at two different parts of that before we finish in a little while. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. This is speaking of Moses. And the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He did not see God, but he did see Him. Do you know the Lord? If you know the Lord, it's highly unlikely that you have seen Him. But you know Him. You know He's real. You have a relationship with Him. And we need to have that same kind of relationship with the Lord. We spend time with Him. The Bible says, seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. That means seek a relationship with Him that is available to us when we come to the Father through Jesus the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we come to Him, and He gives us what we need, looking to that which is unseen. Has anyone ever made fun of you because you believe in an unseen God? Well, maybe not your face, but I guarantee if you have declared yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, they have made fun of you behind your back. Some of them have anyway. But here's another thing. Another answer is listening to the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. We listen to the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 50. Listen to this. The psalmist talks about that his comfort in his affliction was the Word of God which had revived him. He listened to the Word of God and he was revived. He was given life. And this is where we go. We go to God's Word And the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Word, He interprets it and applies it to our lives. And He's there waiting for us at any moment to come and open the Word and say, Teach me Your will, O God, that I may walk in Your truth. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. And the Holy Spirit will answer that question and that request every time when we come to Him. We need to listen to encouragement from the Word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.13, Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that your heart may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That means you and I are to take the Word of God, remembering what we just saw from Romans 15.4. We're given hope by the encouragement of the Scriptures. And Paul didn't have a New Testament when he wrote that. He was talking about what we call the Old Testament. It, that was his book of Scripture. And we are to use that to encourage each other. Do you need encouragement? I need it regularly. Paul needed it. In fact, he says over in 2 Corinthians 7 again, he says this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. And then he says, But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. What's he saying? We were depressed. you have depression? Find someone who will encourage you. Read the Bible. It will be an encouragement to you. But you and I have an assignment, I'm sure, based on Hebrews 3.13, that we find opportunity to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ with the Word of God. There's nothing like it. And they will be hearing that through you and me. We need examples. In Hebrews 11 again, if you want to go there for the last time, today with me. I invite you to do that. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 32. And what more shall I say for time will fail if I tell of Gideon. Let's stop right there with Gideon. He's the only one I'm going to pull out and elaborate on a bit. Remember when we first encounter Gideon in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges, he's down in a hole basically. He's down in a hole and he's threshing wheat. Now, in order to thresh wheat, which simply means separating the fruit from the chaff, you have to be above ground and pick up some wind and let the wind blow the lighter chaff away and the fruit falls on the floor where you're threshing. He's down in there futilely trying to thresh this wheat. And all of a sudden, he's startled by a man, it seems, who speaks to him. And this was the message. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's one of the most humorous scenes in all of the Bible. Here's a guy cowering in a hole instead of being on level ground. But I mean, he had a reason to, and I probably would have been doing the same thing because the Midianites were arch enemies and they had a lot of weaponry and a lot of power militarily. But he changed because God spoke to him. He wasn't even listening for God. But God came and spoke to him. And the result was that gradually when you follow the progression of his spiritual development in chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Judges, he becomes the leader of a formidable army. And God did a miracle through him. He was a man of faith. What an example. Let's look a little further in this passage Let's go down to verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. It is said that, not in the Bible, but in the lore of the Hebrew people, that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two with a wooden saw. They were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, there's that word again, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. This world is filled with people who will never be known by many people who are this kind of people, men and women, who pay a price for following Christ and how God is pleased with them because they're people of faith. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all these having gained approval through their faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, is what chapter 11 has already said. Did not receive what was promised. I mentioned this a little earlier. It's heartbreaking when you don't get a promise fulfilled. And you know God gave it to you. But look what it goes on to say. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God used the Word of God to encourage people, and He does to this day, who have been promised and yet have to see the fulfillment of that promise. We believe the Lord's going to take care of us, and rightly so. Now let's look one last time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, this is verse 3, and God of all comfort, and the word comfort and comforting is the word encouragement and encouraging. It's just translated differently for some reason in this particular part of the Bible. But it's the same word that's used uh, by the writer of Hebrews that's translated encourage and encouragement. Same word, family. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction, all of it, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Jesus was suffer, suffered incredible things. His in us. It's people's reaction to Christ in us that causes them to afflict us. They're picking a bone with Christ. Their bone is not picked from us. It's for, with Christ. And we need to understand that God helps us. If He's helped you through some trial in your life, know that He wants you to be a source of help to other people in the body of Christ. He will use you as you come, and you know what it's like to suffer because of your association with Christ, and you can be a means of help to those people. As I finish now, to finish the message by mentioning three verses, four verses that I haven't referenced from Psalm 119 yet. Verse 67 the Bible says before I was afflicted I went astray but now I keep your commands. There's a reason we're afflicted so that we will be obedient and remember that's what the Lord wants from us. To be obedient and it's not just to gratify him that would be enough but it's for our own good when we obey the Lord then a little bit later in verse 71 after having said before I went astray before I had your commandments and before I was afflicted I went astray but now I keep them and said it was good for me he says in 71 that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, i.e. learn the Word of God. It's good, isn't it, to know the Word of God? And then in verse 75, the Scripture says, In faithfulness you, Father, God, afflicted me. Now that's not popular theology, but it's biblical theology. If we have a sovereign God, He's the one who has to at least give the enemy, the freedom, just like He did with Job, to afflict us. And the thing that God always does, He turns the table on the devil every time when that happens. Because He turns us in to people who know the Word of God, who obey the Word of God. And then in verse 92, Psalm 119, the Scripture says, If my delight was not in your law, I would have perished in my affliction. If you're here today and you feel like you're just gasping for breath spiritually, please understand that if we delight ourselves in the Lord and His Word, and we reach out for help from other believers to help us, then God is going to transform us and make us more fully in the image of His Son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it's a blessing to be here today to worship You with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray that You would help us, God help us, to be men and women who are people who gladly accept the stripping of our self-reliance in favor of being stirred by You, to rely simply and solely on You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.